this morning Bible fellowship and our worship time. Thank you for those who unite with our church family. I know, Lord, you'll use them as they uh, use their spiritual gifts here. And then, Father, thank you for our time to come back tonight to be discipled. Lord, as we look at the subject of heaven, Lord, this subject should um, cause all of us to stop and wonder, but at the same time discover the wonders of heaven. So speak to our hearts tonight through your Holy Spirit. Explain to us, Lord, uh, about the new earth, about heaven, the new earth, redemption, all things that we need to know. Thank you for this time that we have together. Speak to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you picked up a study guide out there. If you didn't, uh, we'll get you one. Does everybody have a study guide? Everyone, anyone need a study guide? Okay, thank you. Uh, I'll have it on begin, but just, if you would, look at this title slide up here. It's a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. It says, depend upon it. Your dying hour will be the best hour you've ever known. Your last moment will be your richest moment. Better than the day of your birth will be the day of your death. It shall be the beginning of heaven, the rising of a sun, that shall go no more down forever. That's C.H. Spurgeon. If you brought your, if you have your study guide, we want to look at that to begin with. Is earth's redemption is essential to God's plan? That's our first topic. If you would follow along, you can fill in the blanks. I'll make some comments here and there. The entire physical universe was created for God's glory. That's why the the universe was created. But humanity rebelled. And the universe fell under the weight of sin. Yet the serpent seduction of Adam and Eve did not catch God by surprise. He had in place, had in place, by which he would redeem mankind and all of creation. From sin, corruption, and death, just as he promised. To make men and women new, he promises to renew the earth itself. Now you've heard how he wanted and how he desires to make men and women new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, If any man be in Christ, if any man, generic man or woman, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So it's God's, it was God's desire, still is, to make man and woman new. But not only that, he wanted to renew the earth itself. He says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. As the new heavens and the new earth, that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So will your name and your descendants endure. In keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. 
That's 2 Peter 3.13. Now, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So God's desire from the very beginning, when he created the universe, was to, uh, to make man, woman, place them in a garden. That was his perfect plan. Then all of a sudden, man sinned. And uh, from there, we know that Satan then took control of the earth because of man's sin. We'll get into that a little more in just a few minutes. So then you have Revelation 21.1 just read. Many other passages uh, uh, of the new earth uh, allude to the new heavens and the new earth without, without uh, using those terms. First, you have God's redemptive plan. Climaxes, not at the return of Christ, nor in the millennial kingdom, but on the new earth. And so the climax of his whole plan is not when he, not at the rapture. It's not uh, during the tribulation period. It's not at the millennial period where he reigns for a thousand years. But the climax is when he creates the new heaven and the new, new heavens and the new earth. Only then only then will all wrongs be made right. Only then will there be no more death, no more crying, and no more pain. Consider this. If God's plan was merely to take mankind to the present heaven, or to a heaven that was the dwelling place of spirit beings, there would be no need for a new heaven and a new earth. If he was just going to take us to heaven, and we'd be in this dwelling place of spirit beings, then there would be no need of a new heaven and a new earth. Why refashion the stars of the heavens and the contents of the earth? God could just destroy his original creation and put it all behind him. But he won't do that. When he created the heavens and the earth, he called them very good. You remember the account in Genesis? when God made the creation of the, the heaven and the earth. He said, this is good. He created all the things on earth. He said, this is good. Created everything, fish in the sea, birds in the air. He said, this is good. But when he created man, he said, this is very good. So man is the choice creation of God. He's his prized creation. So when he created the heavens and the earth, he called them very good. Never once did he renounce, has he renounced his claim on what he made. He isn't going to abandon his creation. But what's he going to do? He's going to restore it. We want to go to heaven and leave earth behind. Rather, God will bring heaven and earth together into the same dimension with no wall or separ of separation, 
No armed angels to guard heaven's perfection from sinful mankind. And so God's going to bring heaven and earth together. And there's not going to be a, a guard positioned anywhere that would keep man out. I was thinking of Genesis chapter 3. Let me read that for you. Genesis 3, and I believe it's uh, 22 and 24, if you'll make a note of that. Genesis 3, verse uh, 22 and following. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so God created everything perfect to begin with. Man sinned because of man's sin. He was escorted out of the garden. And God put a cherubim there to guard the entrance uh, to where he could not partake of the, the tree of life. And it was to our benefit. If we had partaken of the tree of life, then we would live forever in our sin. And so there was a reason that God put that a cherubim there to, uh, to guard the entrance going into where the tree of life was. Okay? His perfect plan... God's perfect plan is to bring all things to, in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. God's redemptive goals are far less modest than we think. Let me give you time to jot that down. Far less modest than we think. Christ died not merely to, to make the best of a bad situation, but he died so that mankind, earth, and the universe itself would be renewed to forever proclaim his glory. So he died so that mankind, earth, and the universe itself would be renewed to forever proclaim his glory. God has never given up on his original creation. Remember, he created the heavens and the earth. He had a plan and sin uh, spoiled that plan as God originally had. And so, but he didn't destroy what he created. He left it, and one day he's going to reclaim it. He says, um, each of these biblical words, let me go back, God has never given up on this original creation. Somehow we've managed to overlook an entire biblical vocabulary that makes this point clear. And I spoke about that this morning in the sermon. Each of these biblical words begin with the prefix, a re-prefix, suggesting a return to the original condition that was ruined or lost. And so this, these are the words we come across in the Bible. Reconcile, redeem, restore, return, renew, regenerate, resurrect. Each of these biblical words began with a re-prefix suggesting a return to the original condition that was ruined or lost. 
So, redemption means to buy back what was formerly owned. Reconciliation means the restoration of reestablishment of a prior friendship or unity. And so, renewed means to make new again, restoring to an original state, to make new. To, to, to make things new doesn't mean to make something that has never existed, but it means to kindly, it means to purify what was already here, and that would be the earth, and that's his intent. Resurrection means becoming physically alive after death. So these words emphasize that God always sees us in light of what he intended what he intended us to be. And he always seeks to restore us to that design. Likewise, he sees the earth in terms of what he intended it to be, and he seeks to restore it to the original design. Okay? So what did God intend for man? God intended for man. He created this beautiful place for man to live, created the created the earth, created a beautiful garden, put man in the garden, gave man instructions that he was to tend the ground, he was to take care of the garden, that he was to have dominion over the earth, rule over the earth, but man chose to disobey God. And man sinned, and he paid the consequence for, for that sin and has passed it all the way down to us. But God never has forgotten his plan for man, he never has forgotten his plan for the earth. Okay? Listen to, um, listen to what Albert Walter, uh, Wouter said. Uh, made an in interesting comment uh, in the book of, called Heaven. He says this, and I'll quote, God's, God hangs on to his fallen original creation and he salvages it. He refuses to abandon the work of his hand. In fact, he sacrifices his own son to save his original project, humankind, which has botched its original mandate, and the whole creation along with it is given another chance in Christ. We are reinstated as God's managers on earth. The original good creation is to be restored. And so that's the purpose of God. If God, had, um, if God had wanted to, he could have consigned us to hell, could have started over. He could have made a new Adam and Eve and sent the old ones to hell, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to redeem what he started with, the heavens, the earth, and mankind, to bring them back to their original purpose. God is the ultimate salvage artist. He loves to restore things to their original condition and make them even better. So that's his intent. Now, um, I was thinking about the salvage artist. Uh, in years past, I had an opportunity to restore a couple of vehicles. I had a a 1951 Ford pickup, 
and uh, we restored it. And uh, that was the first vehicle Judy and I bought after we married, was that old truck. And I used to drive work in, but later on we restored it. And then I restored a 66 Ford pickup. And I got to thinking about those vehicles. And they were, they were old and they needed repair and they were restored. And so I uh, got to thinking about which would be more valuable today. Would that vehicle that was restored be more valuable than a, perhaps a new car today? I think it would be. If you ever try to price an antique, it's been restored. You know, there's several thousand dollars now. They'll run any, depending on what it is. And so the old has been restored, becomes all the more valuable than, than what's new today. And so God wants to restore. He wants to restore mankind, and he wants to restore the earth. And so this is his renewal plan. God placed mankind on earth to fill it, to rule it, and to develop it to God's glory. But that plan has never been fulfilled. Should we therefore conclude that God's plan was ill-conceived and abandoned? That was his purpose to start with. Do we think that, um, you know, do we think that that's ill-conceived and he should abandon it? No, we don't, we don't think that. God placed mankind on earth to fill it. Let me go back, I'm sorry. So his original plan will be fulfilled to create... You have a new earth to, to renew mankind. If, anybody, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And then to renew heaven and earth. Go back to his original plan. I said at the bottom there, I must confess, this is me, I must confess that Randy Alcorn and David Jeremiah and others like them, I believe that God was going to destroy the earth and be done with it. I believed that for years. However, that would be like saying that the great creator failed and having realized his mistake, he'll end up trashing most of what he made. He'd save mankind, but he'd just throw the rest of it away. This ideal is refuted in Scripture. God, God has a magnificent plan and he'll not surrender earth to the trash heap. He's going to restore earth. Now let's look at the new earth as the old earth restored. Peter preached that Christ must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Acts 3.21 and we're told that at a, time, a time is coming when God will restore everything. This is inclusive. This is an inclusive promise. Everything will be restored. It, in, it, encompass, it encompasses far more than God merely restoring a disembodied people to fellowship in a spirit realm. It's much more than that. You know, uh, we talked about, last week we talked about the, pre the uh, present heaven. When we die, we go to the present heaven. Uh, not the eternal heaven as yet, but we go to the present heaven. And there's our, 
our intermediate place, that's the place we are before we go to the eternal heaven. Um, and so God just didn't merely restore people to just live in a, in a spirit realm. Because living in a spirit realm is not what humans were made for and once enjoyed. It would not qualify as restoring. Uh, we weren't, uh, we had a body, and we have a body. Okay? It is God restoring mankind to what we once were, what he designed us to be, fully embodied righteous beings. That's what he wants to restore us as. Now, if you remember, we talked last week about the embodied, the present heaven. We talked about uh, this disembodied spirits and what, the, what we're doing while we're waiting to go into eternal heaven. What are we doing? We're waiting for the, the rapture of our bodies. And when Christ comes back for the church, then we'll, we'll come back with him. That's what First Thessalonians 4 says. He'll bring with him those who have died in the Lord. And so then we'll, our bodies will be raptured, and then we will be reunited with our bodies. And that's what he tended to begin with, for us to have a body. He didn't create a, a spirit first and and put a body around it, but he created a body and breathed into that body the breath of life. Restoring the entire physical universe to what it once was. That's what his entire purpose is. The new earth is the old earth restored. When, when will the restoration be realized? Long ago... Let me find my note here. I can see better here. Long ago, through God's holy prophets. Now, when you read the prophets, the answer becomes clear. God will restore everything on earth. The prophets are never concerned about some far-off realm of disembodied spirits. Go to the Old Testament. They're not talking about a heaven that has... Uh, heaven where God is. They're not speaking of people going up to heaven. What are they concerned about? They're concerned about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the millennial reign. So the, the early prophets, they were concerned more about the land, the inheritance, the city of Jerusalem, and the earth that they walked on. That's what they were concerned about. They thought, they knew, prophesied that Messiah will come from heaven to earth, not to take us away from earth to heaven, but to restore earth to what he intended so he can live with us here forever. Listen to Luke chapter 36 through 38. Uh, Luke 2, I'm sorry, Luke 2, 36. 38 speaks about Anna now there was one there was one Anna a prophetess the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher and she was of great age and she'd lived with a husband seven years from her virginity 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And the coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke to him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. So you remember the story of uh, Jesus going into the temple and, and, uh, and Anna sees Jesus. They went to present Jesus at the temple and Simeon uh, uh, calls out to God and, and rejoices over the Messiah and then Anna bears witness of the Redeemer of Israel. So it wasn't all about heaven with the Jew. It's about the kingdom. It was a kingdom gospel. Okay? What were God's people looking forward to? They were looking for redemption. They were looking not only for their redemption, but also the redemption of Jerusalem. Also, be the, uh, it will be the redemption of Israel. So when you speak about the redemption of Jerusalem, you're also speaking about the redemption of Israel. As the entire world was promised a blessing through Abraham, the redemption of Jerusalem and Israel speaks of the redemption of the earth itself. I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. You remember this, this is the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, curse him who cursed you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Meaning that the Redeemer, the Redeemer, the Messiah, would uh, redeem all the peoples of the earth. That was his intent. Who would be the agent of that redemption? Jesus. The child, the Messiah, who would become king not only of the redeemed individuals, but also the king of redeemed Jerusalem and the king of the redeemed earth. This is the gospel of the kingdom. So this is, this is the Jews' gospel. Confessing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That was the confession that was to be made. But uh, you know what happened. They rejected the Messiah and they later put him to death and crucified him. And so, uh, but God didn't give up on his plan. Anything less is a narrow view of God's redemptive plan. So will the earth we know come to an end. Yes. To a final end? No. Revelation 21.1 speaks, uh, says the old earth will pass away. But when people pass away, they do not cease to exist. As we will be raised to new people, so the earth will be raised to a new earth. Let me look at Matthew just for a moment and see. Then Peter answered and said to him, to Jesus, We've left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? 
So Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, in the renewal, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you'll have followed me and, and will have sat on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus said, hey, when the, when the restoration takes place, you're going to have a place uh, in judging uh, the tribes of the earth. Notice what Christ said. He didn't say after. Uh, he didn't say after the abandonment of all things, but at the renewal or regeneration of all things. Jesus draws a line in the sand between two fundamental different theologies. Mankind was designed to live on earth to God's glory, and that's exactly what Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection secured, a renewed humanity upon a renewed earth. The prominent belief, the prominent belief that the ultimate heaven God prepares for us will be unearthly, could not be more unbiblical. Earth was made for people to live on, and people were made to live on earth. And according to the prophets, the apostle Peter, Christ himself, our destiny is to live forever on a restored and renewed earth. And that's Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Okay, that gives us just uh, some thought about how and or why and how God is going to recreate the heaven and the earth and the purpose for it. He didn't throw his plan away. Uh, from the very beginning, he didn't say, hey, I messed up, I'm forgetting that, I'm going another direction. But he's going to make sure that he, uh, he follows through with what his intentions were to begin with. Now, last week, uh, you picked up or we handed out these three eras of earth and mankind. I want us to look at this just for a moment. If you brought your copy, if not... Uh, there's some extra copies out in the floor. You can pick one up. You can pick one up before you leave. But this talks about the past and the present and the future, the three eras of Earth and of mankind. So I want to show a little video clip as uh, Randy Alcorn explains this. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you this uh, chart, and you can get this. Uh, some of this chart is in uh, the Heaven Book that you've, you've all got. And you can download this chart individually uh, if you uh, want to, and you can pass it out in a Sunday school class or whatever. It's on, online at our website. Three eras of Earth and mankind. So think of the past, the present, and the future. Here we have this beautiful thing. 
You've got Genesis 1 and 2. And you've got God's ideal creation as, as he first made it. You've got Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, where you have God's new or renewed creation, new heavens, new earth. Everything in between uh, is fall and final judgment. You can even get Genesis 3 and Revelation 20 into the act because Genesis 3 starts with sinlessness and during the chapter comes sin, the fall. And then Revelation 20, which is the third, to, you know, so the chapters 1, 2, 3, and then there's chapter 22, the last chapter, 21, the second to last chapter, and the third to last, you know, Revelation 20, is the judgment. Sin uh, comes into the world, Genesis 3. Sin is decisively judged and ended, Revelation 20. All was good before Genesis 3. All will be good for God's children after Revelation 20. And everything in between, Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, is fallen mankind, fallen earth. And so in the chart, you, you see the idea. Here's the original, and then there's the fallen, and then the future has resurrected mankind, resurrected earth. In Genesis 1 and 2, God delegates reign to innocent mankind. And now in the present era, we have disputed reign with God and Satan and fallen mankind. And then what do you see in Revelation 21, 22? You see the servants of God serving him on a renewed, resurrected earth for all eternity, having righteous dominion over the world to the glory of God. Sound familiar? Like what God commanded in Genesis 1 and 2? Fulfill, commanded in the first two chapters, ruined redeemed through the blood of Christ and ultimately his return and then setting up his eternal kingdom and then righteous men and women rule the earth to the glory of God for all eternity. Satan didn't win. He won't win. God wins. And you know what? If you think that the gospel is that God had this plan for perfect man and woman to rule the earth to his glory. Satan and Adam and Eve messed it all up and now the best God could do was to send his son down the world so that our souls and spirits could be snatched out of this world to live in a disembodied angelic existence forever. That's not the gospel. That's got part of the gospel in it, but it's a, it's a very truncated gospel. Because Jesus didn't just come into the world to redeem us. He came to redeem the world itself. And we'll see that in Romans 8, which is so emphatic on this subject. So mankind was given dominion uh, with intended stewardship of the earth. Mankind's dominion was thwarted and frustrated and twisted, but then ultimately it will be fulfilled, a redeemed stewardship of the earth. So you had in Genesis 1 and 2, God was in heaven and he'd come down in the cool of the day and visit with Adam. 
and then now you have God in heaven, separate but actively involved in this world, and he indwells believers by his spirit. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, you have God living forever with mankind on the new earth. God with us, God with us forever. No curse in Genesis 1 and 2. Sin and curse in the present. Blessing too. I'm, don't, don't, it's not all sin and curse. God is at work in the lives of his people and he extends not only saving grace but common grace. And an unbeliever can do a good thing. But the power through which they do that good thing is that God has made them in their image. And God can use the life of a, an unbeliever. God can use a... A, a stage drama, a book written by an unbeliever, a musical composition, a song written by an unbeliever, performed by an unbeliever. God can use it. Um, but that's his, his common grace at work in the world. And certainly God works through his people. But one day there will be no more curse. There was no curse in Genesis 1 and 2. There will be no curse in Revelation 21 and 22. The great thing is, Revelation 21 and 22, like Genesis 1 and 2, are two chapters. But that's, as Lewis said at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, this is the story where every chapter is better than the one before, and it goes on forever. And the story continues and continues and will never end to the glory of God. So all of these contrasts, this charge in your book, so I won't continue to to go through it, but I'll mention this one. The first Adam reigns, then the first Adam falls and, and reigns corruptly, and then the second Adam reigns as the God-man with mankind as co-heirs and delegated kings. King of kings. Him the king with the capital K, singular. Us the kings, lowercase, plural. So the serpent, Satan's on earth, and then the serpent's judged, and then Certain ulti serpent ultimately in Revelation 21, actually the end of Revelation 20, is removed and will never be on the earth again. Will never be on the new earth. Thrown into the eternal uh, fire. So, I mean, the contrast, the comparison contrast goes on and on. And it's just absolutely fascinating. All beauty in the world is either a memory of paradise or a prophecy of the transfigured world. If you see Genesis 1 and 2, the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and then out here, the promises of eternity future, it utterly transforms how you view your life on earth. Do you see why? Because what is happening today is not the final chapter. And what will happen in eternity will actually demonstrate that even many of the bad things that happen, all of the bad things that happen to God's children here and now, he promises to work together for our good. Now, wait a minute. That's impossible. He's just talking about rape and assault and dismemberment and I mean, the horrific things that happen in this world. Well, 
Romans 8 is either true or it's false. If it's false, let's go home. Let's find something else to do the next couple of days. Come on. But if it's true, and I believe it is, and I think most of you believe it is, that is a radical statement, but it can't be left to what happens in this life because this life is full of injustices. And if you have to get justice for every bad thing that has happened to you in this life, I, I feel sorry for you. You're, you're going to be a pathetic, resentful, angry, bitter person. But if you recognize, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And do what Peter says, entrust yourself to a faithful creator who does all things right and all things well. It just simply transforms everything.